When you consider the history of the church from the first century all the way up through today, we've had some growing pains along the way, haven't we? When you think of it, growing pains are inevitable and not just with the church, because in reality, we often grow best and grow most through pain. Financial pains teach us to manage our money better. Relational pains shape us and hopefully make us better sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and friends. And church pains can bring about resiliency and growth in our bodies of believers and help us to reach out to those who don't yet know Jesus. Yeah, significant growth often comes with pain, growing pains. Well, in this Discover the Word podcast, join the group as they study together a passage in Acts chapter 6 and discover how God used struggles and pain to grow the church both internally and externally. How might God be doing the same in our churches and with each of us? Let's talk about growing pains in this Discover the Word podcast. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Uh, for the most part, Rasul and Mart will be splitting time in that fourth chair at the table in this coming year. Mart, of course, has been a member of this group for over 30 years. And Rasul, he's a recent addition to our staff here at Our Daily Bread Ministries. In this first podcast of 2022, Rasul is at the table with Elisa and Bill and Daniel in this study of Acts chapter 6. Now, Elisa will be guiding the group through this section of Scripture that I think will provide some much-needed perspective as we head into the new year. Because without a doubt, growing pains are in our future in the next 12 months. And so let's listen as Elisa gets this study started with this question for Bill and Daniel and Rasul. What does the phrase growing pains mean? And I'm sitting here with three guys, so I'm pretty sure y'all can relate to this. It kind of sounds a lot like a 1980s sitcom. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As I recall, there was one called Growing Pains. That's right. Yeah, I think about my son who would often wake us up in the middle of the night saying, Dad, I need a hot water bottle or a rice sock for my legs because my legs hurt. I don't even know what those things are, yeah. really. Yeah. <laughs> but growing pains, yeah, they hit you in teen years especially. Oh, man, I think about those teen years. I uh, There was no Invisalign for me <laughs> uh, in middle school. It was metal braces, yeah. glasses. Uh, I had the trifecta and the inhaler all at the same time. Oh, my time. gosh. But, yeah, when you think about the awkward phase, yeah, as yeah, they yeah, call it, sure. you know, uh, a lot of those moments... They seem really tough at the time, but it was tough kind of growing into who you would become. But the reality is they didn't just stop. You know, when Mm -hmm. you like hit 21 or something, I mean, we still have growing pains all the time, like a new job, right? I think about our faith too, right? When we grow in our faith, sometimes that gets really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because we run into questions that maybe we haven't thought about before or passages of scripture that we're like, wait, what? That's in the Bible? Yeah, that's spiritual growth picture is really vivid because I think of babies when they go or when they're teething mm-hmm. and they're crying and you know you're trying to soothe them and go you know it's it's going to be okay <laughs> and I think sometimes we need to remember that spiritually too like yeah. it's, it's going to be okay it won't always feel like this but sometimes the stretching and the testing of our faith is mm-hmm. what we need in order to be more like Christ yeah you know sometimes I think to relate to this Russell 
we start out very concrete in our faith. Mm. You know, we, we read scripture like, if I pray this, then God's going to answer. And it's, you know, boom, boom, boom. And God is gracious in our youngness, you know, as we come to know him. But inevitably, mm-hmm. don't you think we end up in kind of more vague areas where oh, things yeah. are cloudy and not mm-hmm. so clear? We have to learn to embrace a much more complex yeah. faith. Yeah, and I think a much more mysterious one to go back to what Daniel mm-hmm. was talking about. There's far more about our faith than we don't know than there is that we do know. Mm, And I think that that's what makes it challenging because we know the Bible calls us to have confidence and to to have trust in God. And the Bible gives us good reason to do that. But at the same time, there's a whole lot of stuff that we just don't have a clue about. Yeah. And I've been so thankful for older people like Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for not saying me. (laughs) (laughs) Like they've gone before me in their faith journey. They're ahead yeah. On the road. Is that a better way to say it? Ahead on the road? No, you were right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, some of the wisdom that I've gleaned from people like Bill and my mentor, Robert, and you, Elisa, and Mart, and others is that the older they get, they tend to say the less I know mm-hmm. about God and how he works. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. freedom in that. Instead yeah. of feeling yeah. like you have to keep figuring things out, yeah. resting in mystery, yeah. resting in yeah. some of the stuff we don't know. It does feel good. This is actually what we're going to be talking about this week are these growing pains really of faith. Mm-hmm. And we're going to spend some time in a section in the book of Acts where the very early church experienced growing pains, new pains, you know, being in a new place, new believers like we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And yet there were some more seasoned believers with them. You know, some of the original 12 were with them who had actually walked with Jesus and others. Uh, Anyway, we're going to dive into this and see what were they going through and what did they learn and how can we benefit from that. Mm, So, yeah, so we're heading into Acts chapter six, and we're going to be looking specifically about how we can grow through pain. That's uplifting. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? (laughs) So, you know, just to kind of set the stage, what do we know about what is happening? We're just six chapters into the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Can you all kind of situate us in terms of what's happening here? Well, Pentecost has happened. And And what's that? that? Yeah. Well, that was the, the day of one of the main feast times for Israel. And at the gathering of all the people for that feast time, Peter stands up because the Holy Spirit has come and filled with the Spirit, Peter gets up and preaches what really, in a sense, is the first gospel sermon ever preached. And um, thousands of people come to trust in Christ and the church is born. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, some persecution begins. And so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're starting to get some pressure from the outside because of the faith claims that they're making to a community that kind of showed what they thought about those faith claims with what happened with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus has left the scene, but the ministry and the movement that Jesus has started is continuing. So like in chapter five, it talks about the apostles that are involved in these healing situations where this same healing that was happening with Jesus is now happening with those who followed him, who are now filled with the spirit and carrying Jesus message into the world. And the last words that Jesus gave were to do what? Be my witnesses. Yeah. 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 And so the disciples here in the early church, they're trying to fulfill that. Well, let's read chapter six of the book of Acts. And just how about we just start with the first verse, okay? We're just going to kind of whet our appetites. You want to grab it, Bill? Okay. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. 
Okay. This is the situation that arises, mm-hmm. and we haven't seen a bump like this before. It's kind of the first internal problem. Yep. And it's interesting, I think, Elisa, because they've already had some external problems mm-hmm. with the religious leaders and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. But internal problems are different. Yeah. <laughs> internal problems <laughs> feel different. How uh, so? Because all of a sudden, you know, we're family, but we're not acting like it. Mm. And it makes a different atmosphere when the problems that are internal take place. External problems, okay, you expect that. Mm-hmm. We're going to have problems. And we kind of gang in together and turn yeah. outward against it. But when it's an internal problem, yeah. we turn against each other. So yeah. what was the internal problem happening here in verse 1? It's actually a very big problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of things that stand out. One is complain. Okay. Two, widows. And three, daily distribution of food. Okay. So... You have these two groups, Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews, that are existing in the community. So that's Greek Jews? Yeah, Hellenistic. Mm-hmm. These are from more from the Greek diaspora. Mm-hmm. They weren't locals mm-hmm. in the same way. These mm-hmm. are folks probably, as Bill mentioned, that came through for the feast mm-hmm. and stayed when, yeah. you know, be part of this community when they hear Peter yeah. preach. But they were from all over. So as opposed to the Hebraic Jews, which the disciples were among, they, they probably didn't speak Hebrew, they didn't go to the synagogues as much. They were in a different space. And and these folks stayed around to be part of this messianic community. Like, oh, wow, the Messiah is here. Mm-hmm. So they're all Jews. They're all Jews. And they're all believers right. in Christ. Yes. But they're very different culturally. So yes. let that sink in. Yeah. Very yeah. different mm-hmm. culture. They speak a different language. Yeah, they probably look different, you know okay. what I mean, as well. Clothing-wise, okay. uh, there's more mixing that's happened across mm-hmm. the diaspora. So there's these differences. And so these widows get overlooked from the daily distribution of food. So if you imagine widows at this time were completely vulnerable. This is one of the main groups that the Old Testament mm-hmm. and New Testament continually tells believers to care for, you know, widows, orphans, foreigners, right? Um, because widows were dependent upon what system to provide for them? The patriarchal system. Okay. Yeah. Yep. They were absolutely dependent upon men mm-hmm. for most of their early lives, their fathers and then their husbands. Mm-hmm. And then if their husbands died and they became widows, then they were dependent upon their adult sons. Right. So we're really talking about women and then yeah. women who mm-hmm. become widows. Yeah. And then the distribution of food, what is that about? I mean, did widows go and grow the food or how did they get their food? Yeah, it would have just depended on culturally what part of town they're in. So mm-hmm. this is in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of food being brought into the city mm-hmm. from outside places. It's an urban environment. Yep. Yeah. We see other places in the New Testament where people are selling all that they have and sharing mm-hmm. it with one another. So this is probably yeah. some kind of like collection of food that's right. being brought together mm-hmm. and then distributed to those who are most in yeah, need. Yeah, we just saw a picture of that in chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira, yep. you yeah. know, who withheld some more, but the context of it was everyone yeah. was giving sharing. all that they had. Yeah. And so, you know, in spite of that, the church has taken up this mantle of caring for those who were in need, who were among them. And this, I mean, this could determine, do they stay at the church or not? Or because they have to survive. So if they don't get the food that they need, then they have to decide, do I go back home to wherever home is? Do I do other things? So this was a pretty big issue for the mission of the church. Yeah, Yeah, the Hellenistic widows in one sense were doubly vulnerable. They're vulnerable because they're widows. They're also vulnerable because they're displaced from home. Okay. Uh, The Hebraic widows may have had resources from relatives who lived nearby. That's a good insight, yeah. But the Hellenistic ones, they're 
remote and they don't have access to those kind of resources. So we're teeing this up, so to speak. You know, this is ripe and you can just read past this and think no big deal. But if we pause and look at Acts chapter six, we see really the first internal conflict that the church is Mm -hmm. facing. And it involves different cultures, as you brought out, Russell, and it involves women, so different genders, and it involves the whole system of who are we as a body of Christ. When the whole system had been set up that we share everything Mm -hmm. in common, and then we start competing for, Mm -hmm. for who's going to get what growing pains result. Mm -hmm. And I just want us to stop with this one particular verse, and we'll pick this conversation back up in a few minutes here. But let's read verse 2 of chapter 6 and see what happens in terms of how does this internal conflict affect the gospel and affect the fulfillment of what Jesus has really instructed Mm -hmm. them to be as the early church. Mm -hmm. Daniel, Mm -hmm. would you grab that? Yeah, sure. And the 12 called together the whole community of the disciples. So the 12 being the 12 apostles minus Judas plus one. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good. Um, And said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God or the message of God in order to wait on tables. The situation arises. And sometimes we face these situations Mm -hmm. as well, don't we, today? Mm -hmm. We're stretched in a tension between accomplishing the gospel and taking care of the daily internal conflicts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously the gospel also includes the daily internal conflicts but we can forget that but we want to look and see how does this group of early believers respond to the growing pains and that's where we'll go next growth often results in some kind of struggle you know Mm -hmm. some kind of pain and you know usually conflicts a part of growth too and so i want to appeal to y'all sitting here together Each one of you has served in some kind of church leadership role Mm -hmm. at some point, right? What steps do you take in that role to address conflict? And you're going to go, what? There's conflict in the church? Well, I wasn't going to go there. I was going to say the first thing I'd do is button up my resume and uh, get ready for for what might happen. Next? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I noticed when we were in the first part of this conversation the word complaint and it jumped out to me because so much of pastoral leadership and Mm -hmm. leadership in the church is dealing with complaints with pastors complaining yes and (laughs) people in the church (laughs) and i mean there's just so much Mm -hmm. complaining often Mm -hmm. that happens and so honestly my first step i usually just get angry and frustrated and like deal with it on myself personally first and then step into the conflict. And then you button up your resume, right? right. (laughs) There was a song that uh, came out a few years ago called Mo Money, Mo Problems. Mm. (laughs) And it kind of is this interesting take on a reality that people don't often think about when you have more of even good things, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it creates complexity that you don't have when you have less. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that as being a part of a church plant where Studies have shown that oftentimes the group that starts out as the team, the church planning team, within two to three years, four years, Mm -hmm. they're probably transitioning out. And and I've heard so many times that people are attracted to church for different reasons. So if you're there because you love the smallness of Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. and when it's 50, 60, that's different than when Mm -hmm. it comes 200, 300. Mm -hmm. And again, on one scale, you want that kind of growth. But Mm -hmm. on another, you have to then adjust expectations. You have Mm -hmm. to then adjust to systems that are different than when it's just like a mom and pop deal than when it's like Mm -hmm. something that's can sustain. And I think about that in Acts chapter six, where you go, Mm -hmm. you know, from 
small band of people for a couple, three years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you could fit them all in the room almost, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. And now, mm-hmm. you know, overnight, yeah. 3,000 people, yeah. that creates complexity yeah. and mm-hmm. conflict. Yeah, and I think some of it too, Rasul, comes down to what the nature of the conflict is because I think you have some things that are kind of like structural things, like mm-hmm. stuff around a building and right. all that kind of stuff. And those complaints and conflict about the color of the carpet and the right. color yeah. you paint the door and all this. And then you get more ministry-oriented things where you get people complaining about style of music or some yeah. of those kind of things. In my experience, at least, I found that those were frustrating and difficult to handle, but they weren't anything at all like the people problems. Mm. Oh, yeah. The people problems are off the chart the toughest to deal with. Yeah. And, and to your point, Russell, that's where we are in Acts chapter 6. We have a, a ministry problem that's creating a people problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that people problem is going to be the hardest thing to solve because we're here to help people yeah yeah and somehow we're failing in that so what do we have to do yeah so many of the complaints you just mentioned are complaints that we try to find a really nice way of saying like just get over it it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. but what we see here in acts chapter six no no there's some hard issues going on here right these are some issues that are causing some real issues between people but also hinting at the brokenness that's still in the church even though they have experienced the presence of Jesus and now the presence of the Spirit. These are real issues. Well, yeah, the reality is is that even though we know God and we love Him and we love each other, we have to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? right. and we have to have yeah. a safe right. place to live. Mm-hmm. And you can overlook that and say, well, that's just ridiculous. That's just every day. But you know what? Our every day in our flesh matters mm-hmm. in our faith as well. And for these, we started talking yesterday about these Hellenistic widows who were not getting enough food to eat in the food distribution. And for them, I mean, at some point that becomes a life and death issue. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. A Absolutely. life and death issue compounded by an identity issue. Yeah. Yeah. When you're part of a cultural context in which the dominant culture in Jerusalem is Hebraic Jews, yeah. mm-hmm. not Hellenistic Jews. That's right. And so it's not simply even I'm not getting what I need physically, but it's why you think yeah. I'm less than you. Yeah. yeah. That you have is, an accent. Whew. Yes, that is so mm-hmm. huge. That deals with the whole issue of invisibility yeah. and diminishment. And, you know, Jesus was so clear to embrace the differences and to really elevate those that society had plunged underneath. And so there's a beautiful transition that needs to be implemented here in the first century church. Let's go ahead and read a couple of verses here because the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food and it was an internal conflict. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's pick it up and let's read chapter six in the book of Acts. Let's read verses two to four. Okay, and you want to start us off, Russell? Sure. One verse each? Sure. Okay. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now let's pause for just a second. What is that about? Why would it not be right? Isn't it important to feed everybody? Yeah. Every time I've run into this verse, mm-hmm. I stub my toe on it and mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. are the apostles actually representing the heart of Christ in yeah, this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And my response would be maybe. 
<laughs> uh, because different people are given different gifts, different mm-hmm. people are given different callings. Mm-hmm. It may be a simple matter of, it's not that we're too good to do this. It may be just a simple matter of, this is not where God's positioned us right now. Who has God positioned for this? You know, hold on to that. That is such a good point, Bill, because you're going to see even in their solution that yeah. there are differing gifts, even yeah. in the group. So, okay, let's continue to read. Let's pick it up at verse three, Daniel. Yeah. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task. Okay, then Bill, verse four. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, we've Hmm. got this internal conflict. It actually reveals another conflict, the one you just brought up, Daniel. Mm. You've got an internal conflict of some group is being overlooked in the distribution of food. And then, Daniel, you're bringing up the conflict of, well, what's more spiritual and how do Mm -hmm. I represent the heart of Christ here? So how do they move into a solution? Let's see. There may be some principles there we can glean. I I don't know. The first thing that hits Mm -hmm. me is, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. And that hits me hard because... Mm -hmm. What that says is, okay, so there's a conflict happening between two different groups. It has complexity of culture, of language, of ethnicity. People are being neglected. They didn't shrink back. Mm -hmm. They didn't try to sweep it under the rug. They gathered everyone together and said, we're going to talk about this and we're going to work through (laughs) this. So there is a principle they didn't avoid it. They addressed it. But the other thing they did that you just brought out, Russell, is they brought everyone together. You know, they brought everybody to have a voice. And we need that today because when we try to deal with issues often in the church, it's a text thread or email (laughs) or this person's talking to me as the pastor. And then this person comes and talks. And it's amazing how when you put two people in a room together Mm -hmm. and force the conversation the conversation changes. You don't say the same things in a text message or an email that you do when you're sitting right across from the person most of the time. I think you're right. And I think there are times when certain kinds of situations happen in the church that aren't appropriate to take to the whole group, obviously. However, there's a whole lot of stuff that gets done behind closed doors that maybe would go better Mm -hmm. if the congregation was invited to at least listen in and participate and hear what was going on and why it was going on. And then it saves you a ton of time trying to explain it to people later as to why this decision was made. (laughs) Okay, so they're focusing on the problem. They're inviting voices to contribute. And then what else do they do? They choose a group. Well, they don't choose them. They ask the congregation to choose them. The congregation chooses them. And what do they choose? Who do they choose? It says seven men of good standing, full of spirit and wisdom. The other thing that I also note is the qualifications Mm -hmm. that they emphasize. Mm -hmm. And what are they? That they would be full of the spirit. Mm -hmm. They had a good reputation Mm -hmm. and wisdom. And to me, this provides greater context to some of what you stubbed your toe on earlier, Daniel, about you almost get this feel, are they being elitist? Are they Mm -hmm. saying like, you know, this doesn't matter as much, but this qualification list tells you, no, not at all. (laughs) They're actually saying, I mean, you look at those qualifications, that's a pretty high bar to say, you know, full of the spirit, great reputations and full of wisdom to be able to handle this task. And in verse five, if we go on in this passage, the proposal pleased the whole group. And now listen to this. They chose Stephen. I'm going to skip over a little bit here. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, 
Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Okay, what do we notice about those names? And I had to kind of look this up, but what do we know about those names? It's not Abraham, Isaac, <laughs> Jacob, <laughs> Moses, <laughs> Joshua. Yeah. Yeah. They're all Greek. They're all Greek. They're all Greek names. Again, because Greek was dominating the ancient world as a language and the Greek culture had it in times past, there were a lot of Jewish people mm-hmm. that had Greek names. But I don't think it's an accident no. uh, at all. That I mean, <laughs> they really are named Greek names. Mm-hmm to make sure fairness is brought to Greek widows. To the Greek. So, yeah, and just in case there was any doubt, Nicholas from Antioch. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's right. right. A convert. Yeah. That's yeah. good. So they're like, look, this is clearly Hellenistic. Yeah, that's right. And listen, too, to go back to your earlier point, Bill, you're going to hear some of these names further fleshed out in the verses and even the mm-hmm. chapters that follow. So these seven may have been chosen to address the distribution of food, but they're going to be used for other things as well, depending upon their gifts. One of the thing I want to just focus on for a second. They chose seven men. Mm-hmm. Does that bump anybody else? Seven mm. men to address this. Well, I think that in a patriarchal culture, we talked about that yesterday, where men basically were in charge all the time. I think it could be seen as, well, why didn't they pick women? Well, by picking men, I think they were showing respect to the problem mm. because men were expected to take care of widows women, daughters, wives, men were expected to do that. And so by calling men to do it, they were really addressing it within the context of their own culture. Good. Mm -hmm. And there was a tradition that in Jewish circles, seven respected men would address communal situation. So there could have been that kind of Mm -hmm. an expectation. I actually hearkened back to verse three, the 12 have gathered disciples together. They say, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. And I just thought how beautiful that is as we were looking again at the Mm -hmm. body of Christ. There is inclusivity Mm -hmm. there with the brothers and the sisters being brought together. Growth inevitably creates struggle. And you can see even here in the very first Mm -hmm. internal conflict in the early church, there is wisdom in certain principles, certain tactics that are used, and we can glean from those Mm -hmm. as well as we focus on ours today. Yes, we still have them today. Yeah, we sure do experience conflict and adversity today, don't we? And that's why looking at these growing pains in the early church can encourage and help us as we face ours today. Like Elisa said, growth inevitably creates struggle. But as we're learning this week, best case is that we grow through the pain. We're at the Discover the Word table with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And this series titled Growing Pains continues after this. Great to have Rasul as part of the group for this study. And so while he's here, I want to make sure that you know about the podcast that he hosts called Where Are You From? It's a podcast from the Voices Collection here at Our Daily Bread Ministries that provides a space for diverse Christian thought leaders to discuss ideas and issues, cultures, experiences, and more. Let me give you a taste. So we are here. Have we started? Yes. Oh, (laughs) okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry. That's fine. My bad. That's all right. Go. Action. If anybody tells you they rap, your response is an obligatory spit something. 
and this guy delivered a verse that was making everything current at the time seem like amateur hour. And it was God-centered. Blew me away. There's a story playing out right now in Syria because the war in Syria has destroyed a generation of men. And there are women who never used to go outside of their homes without their husbands. Now there's no husband and their children are hungry. We have fire escapes and stoops. And when it's summertime and it's hot outside and people don't want to be cooped up in their apartment, they'll make the front of the building their living room. And you'll see people posted up on milk crates and beach chairs. You'll literally see, smell a little bit of everything up here. Yeah, where are you from? Find it where you get your podcasts or on the whereyoufrom.org website. That's where, Y-A, from, whereyoufrom.org. And now back to this study in the book of Acts about growing pains. Is growing pains kind of an oxymoron <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> you, know, you think growth is a good thing normally, right? Yeah. But is it painful? It can be, I guess. I think change is painful yeah. and growth is a version of change. And so yeah. I think that's often part of it, at least. I guess it depends on the type of growth, too, because I guess physically mm -hmm. our bodies are changing mm -hmm. when we're going through certain growth spurts. Mm -hmm. And that's the pain. And You don't always think of it as pains. But when you look back and reflect on it, you realize where well, there was some real struggle because, I mean, my wife, Marlene, often talks about the fact that when we had two kids, it was OK because she had one hand for each of them. Mm -hmm. But the second we got that third kid, all of a sudden there were problems because she didn't have enough hands anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love the phrase that we've been using a lot in my house now with a daughter who just graduated from college, adulting. Yes. And it's like she feels the excitement of going into being an adult. But then also the pain that comes mm -hmm. with that taxes and, yeah. you know, responsibilities. Yeah, getting up early in the morning to go to work every day mm. where, you know, that wasn't <laughs> a thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, welcome to our world. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. But I can relate to that. I remember that, too, oh, that, yeah. that phase where it's like, am I really an adult? Yeah. Do I like that? Yeah. I'm so. thinking, too, of like the in situations where somebody's going through counseling or therapy or something, too. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine right now, he and I have been having a lot of conversations because he's been just like finding these things things unearthed mm. and so he can't see it right now right but this is part of that growth of identifying things in his past identifying things in his present <laughs> <laughs> that he needs to work through and by working through those he is growing but right now it feels very unsettling yeah. Yeah, working through those yeah. yeah that's a great phrase daniel yeah and so that's another question do you tend to grow more through the easy stuff or do you tend to grow more through the challenging mm -hmm. moments? I think the easy stuff, those are those wonderful rare moments when you kind of get to catch your breath and say, okay, <laughs> life doesn't always have to stink, you know. I mean, but most of the time, it's the challenging things that do make us grow yeah. because it causes us to depend on the Lord. It causes us to look for solution. It causes us to feel the pressure of mm -hmm. living life, whether it's in an adult world or in a church context or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And and we've been in Acts chapter six in these conversations. And the reality is that the early church was growing through suffering. You know, they really were. I mean, there was some good stuff happening. I mean, the church yeah. is yeah. growing and, yeah. you know, the gospel's being spread everywhere. 
But there are some painful times as well. Mm. What happened is that the Hellenistic or the Greek widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And, mm-hmm. you know, the 12 disciples slash apostles gathered the whole church together to look at how to create a solution here. And so that's where we are. We looked at the mm-hmm. situation. We looked at a solution. And, and now we want to look at a couple of the people and what happened as they addressed this issue. Mm-hmm. They appoint seven men. And we looked at uh, in our previous conversation that the men were all Greek to deal with this problem of Greeks being overlooked. But the men weren't all the same. They weren't all gifted the same. Mm. They weren't all treated the same, and they didn't all experience life the same. Today, we want to look at Stephen, Mm. one of the unique ones here. And so let's just pick up in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, and then we're going to look in depth at Stephen. So first, Dana, Mm -hmm. would you grab 6, 5? Yep. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with, and then six other guys that okay. they named. Okay. So this pleased the whole group, but what do we find out about Stephen? And let's dig just a little bit more here. What do we mm-hmm. first see about Stephen? Well, in chapter 8, it says that not only was he a man full of God's grace and power, but that he performed great wonders and signs among the people. So... God was really working through mm-hmm. Stephen. And it looked like, obviously, with him being named first, which always has significance yeah. in the scripture, and with that qualification full of faith in the Holy Spirit, he had a, a great reputation for being mm-hmm. a dynamic man of God. And not only did the community see that, but the opposition saw that as well. Yeah, let's read those verses that you're referencing, Russell. It's a Acts chapter 6, verses yep. 8 to 15. Can we just go around and see what we learn about Stephen and what the circumstance is? You want to start us, Bill? And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But, that's always kind of the <laughs> break point, isn't <laughs> dun, it? Dun, dun, dun. But yep. some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produce false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And then in verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen Hmm. and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Yeah, I wonder how they knew what an angel's face looked like. (laughs) Just curious. I think what jumps out to me is just how similar this whole interaction is with the interaction with Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Like the Mm -hmm. stirring up people to make these claims, even the very claim that they make, right? That we heard him say that this Jesus will destroy this place. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the main Mm -hmm. things that people pointed Mm -hmm. to with Jesus was he said he's going to tear down the temple and in three days rebuild Mm -hmm. it. So. I mean, it's a very similar set of accusations mm-hmm. that they're giving to Stephen that they well, gave to Well, when Jesus. you compare it to the events that you're describing, Daniel, especially in the book of Luke, because Luke wrote both of these books, you can tell what he's doing because really 
Luke and Acts aren't two separate books. They're one book in two volumes. And what he's making sure his listeners understand is that this is the same story. Mm -hmm. It's just now it's happening with the human representatives of Jesus instead of Jesus himself. And that continuation carries all the way through the book of Acts of the people doing what Jesus did, but also suffering as Jesus suffered. Yeah, and I think of the fact that you talk about growing pains. You have this great promotion, this great celebration of, you know, people identifying you and seeing powerful things in you, and you start to do, mm-hmm. you know, ministry, and then opposition arises. Yeah, always. And uh, tension arises and, and accusation. And that's sometimes some of the most painful when people accuse you of things that you didn't do. That's so good. Um, yep. Simply to go against you. And yet, at the same time, God even uses that to help us grow. Totally. And so let's remember, Stephen is first identified as one of the seven men who's going to deal with the distribution of food. Yeah. Okay. And then, bam, just a few verses later, suddenly yeah. he's confronted with the yeah. leadership of the Jews. And yet, the qualities that set him apart, you know, full of the Holy Spirit and faith in verse 5, full of God's grace and power in verse 8, wisdom given by the Spirit as he spoke in verse 10, face like an angel yeah. bill, in verse 15. How does the story go on? Stephen preaches the gospel, we know that, and he ends up being stoned for yeah. it yeah. and sees yeah. Jesus at the end. Yeah. I mean, talk about growing through faith, but let's look for just a second at chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and see what happens as a result of this guy who was selected to take care of the tables initially, ends up before the whole world preaching, okay? What happens for the church as a result of Stephen's Mm. suffering? Could y'all read that? Sure, chapter eight, verse one. And this is right after Stephen sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father and his life uh, ends on this earth. And it says in chapter eight, verse one, and Saul, we'll find out who he is later, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. And then verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wow. Mm-hmm. You kind of wonder. And I mean, I don't think anyone in their right mind says, man, what we really need right now is a good stiff persecution. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. I mean, there are ways in which it would be awesome, but we don't think about it that way. And yet you kind of have to wonder if the persecution hadn't come, mm-hmm. would the church have spread? Mm-hmm. Would the gospel have traveled? Or would it ended up being just kind of a local thing? And I'm talking on a human level. I'm not talking about what yeah. God's doing. But I just think it's really interesting that that's what it took to dislodge them. And if nothing else, I think it's just another beautiful example of the God we serve is a God who, even in the worst situations, can use them for Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Even in the absolute worst situation of Stephen being murdered, God can even use what happens as a result of that for good, even though it definitely didn't feel or look like good at the time. And in reality, God redeems suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus himself suffered and died on a cross and rose again. And we may suffer as well, but our suffering is given meaning. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, growth brings pain. 
and pain can bring more growth. We've been talking about how we grow through pain, growing pains, but can you think about some moments when you've grown, and there still may be a little bit of pain in it, but you've really grown through good stuff. Good stuff actually did create growth in you. Can you think of some moments? Yeah, I think um, there's a country song. Of course there is. Um, (laughs) In it, he talks about how after getting married to this particular person, it brought out the best in him Mm. uh, who became the better version of himself. And I I think for me, I would consider that true for sure. There's been negative things that have happened in our marriage, which has grown me as well. But I think overall, it's been a very positive experience Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. in marriage. And that has made me grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think on that same family side, getting to be a dad and, you know, really, seeing that process of maturation and just being able to be that part in someone. The highlights are amazing and they mm-hmm. make you into a better person. That's something I've really grown to love and appreciate. And it's really some sweet times where you mm-hmm. see, oh, wow, they really do listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think of it maybe in terms of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, opportunities that you really could not imagine that you were in any way, shape, or form ready Mm. for, qualified for, Mm -hmm. capable enough for. And then through the course of that opportunity, God just enables. Mm. And you find something that you didn't know was there Mm -hmm. because of what God does to make you adequate for the moment. You know, in each one of these situations, there is an invitation from Mm -hmm. God through the Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit. Will you step into this? Will you step into marriage? Will you step into fatherhood? Will you step into leadership? Will you step in? And it's maybe scary, but when we say yes, we get to witness and experience Mm -hmm. the involvement. And I have felt incredibly alive at times in my life when, yes, when God has invited me into a moment, even if it's a conversation, you know, with somebody Mm -hmm. in the coffee shop and I watch God open up the discussion to have a a spotlight go on him and I get to share something or I get to listen and learn from someone. Those moments we can easily flush away and think they're not that big of a deal, but we can really grow through the good stuff in life. Mm -hmm. I remember specifically praying. My daughter had lost a couple of babies, um, one through miscarriage, one through a delivery that ended up Mm -hmm. going from womb to tomb. Mm -hmm. Just so painful. And I remember praying, this was probably not my best moment, but it was an honest moment. I remember (laughs) praying, God, I'm not sure she's going to grow more through pain on this topic. Would you please give her a child? Mm. And I've watched her grow through the joy of having a healthy baby who was born way too early, but he lived. And I've watched the good grow in her. Sometimes growing pains Mm. can come from the good moments. And as we continue to look at the early church in Acts 6 and 7 and 8, we're going to meet an individual who did grow in joy and and how the kingdom grew as a result of him saying yes to this opportunity (laughs) of good stuff Mm -hmm. growing. So just to remind us and set the context here for where we are, we've been looking at the New Testament church and the very first internal conflict that they faced. And what was it? Just to summarize, and how did the the early leadership decide to address this conflict? 
Yeah, there's two groups of Jews in Jerusalem. One group is called the Hellenistic or Greek Jews, mm-hmm. and then the others were the Hebrew Jews. Palestinian-based. Um, yeah, Palestinian-based, yeah. yeah. And one group had an accent, those being the Greek Jews, and one group didn't. And there was a daily distribution of food. And for one reason or another, we're not given motive in it, although we might try to ascribe some motives there. Yeah. For one reason or another, this group of Hebrew Jews is overlooking mm-hmm. um, the people that mm-hmm. have an accent. And uh, it's not a good thing. Yeah. And I like what you said, Daniel, about it doesn't give us a motive. But I think it's pretty safe to say that for the people who were on the receiving end of being oh, yeah. mistreated, they probably felt like there were some motives there mm-hmm. um, because we tend to reflect and react yeah, that way. Even marginalized, yeah. to, to use a current term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's something that I notice immediately that in the context of Luke's uh, writing of Acts, everything was going great. If you looked mm. at all the reports and all the <laughs> you know things that was coming back, growth, growth, growth. And yet he says, we need to stop right here and deal with some family business yeah. because this is part of the mission too. Yep. Yeah. And I think also, Russell, I think the honesty of the scriptures. I mean, yeah. it would be so easy to tell the story of the early church. And well, let's just leave that part out. But <laughs> but the scriptures mm-hmm. are about real people with real problems mm-hmm. facing real challenges. And so it presents it in that way so that we can identify with it when we face our own. I think it's great. Yeah, because like on a side note, right, we often look back at the New Testament as if they had it all together. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the examples that remind us, no, brokenness was affecting the early church just as much as it affects the church today. So good. So they put a solution in place. The 12, the apostles slash disciples, appoint seven men, and they give this list of names. They're all Greek, which is interesting. So the leadership of the solution comes from within where the problem is, so that Mm -hmm. the marginalization is addressed. Okay, they're given voice. They're Mm -hmm. given responsibility. Okay, and so we looked at um, some of those people. They're mainly Greek names, as we said. One of them is Stephen, and we followed his story in our last conversation and saw him suffer. We saw that the growing pains of the church were painful. But as a result, as Stephen preaches the gospel, and then he's stoned to death, and he sees Jesus in his death, he sees the risen Christ, okay? And we find out that the church continues to grow after that. Wow, so pain causes growth, and growth causes pain. Today, we want to look at another of the seven, a man named Philip. We're going to pick it up in Acts 6, 5, where he's identified, but then it's told in Acts chapter 8. And if we can read this story and see what happens to him, let's actually pick up in in Acts 8, verses 4 through 8, and then we'll skip to the end of the story. Could you start us, Russell? Sure. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying with loud shrieks came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Okay, whoa. (laughs) We knew that Stephen was full of wonders and signs, but now we see Philip. And again, Mm. remember, he's just picked to address the distribution of food, (laughs) and now he's driving out demons, impure spirits. But even more than that, 
he's crossing some ethnic lines yeah, he's in because Samaria. he's gone to Samaria. Yeah. Okay. And we know from the New Testament, Samaritans were looked down upon. They were despised. They were hated. They were seen as ethnically less than. Yes. And so he goes there, okay. which automatically tells us something about him. And it tells us something about what Luke's trying to do, mm-hmm. because yeah. he's not the only person who was scattered proclaiming the truth, right? Like mm. there's a bunch of other people but Luke feels like it's very important after this story in Acts 6 of, mm-hmm. hey, this group is being overlooked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. verse 8, God cares about the Samaritans yeah. too, just a reminder from Jesus' ministry. Good. Yeah. So he's being very strategic yeah. and intentional with which stories he's telling. And it's also, he's not only responding to Jesus's example, but he's also responding to Jesus's instructions. Mm-hmm. He said, Jerusalem, Judea. Yes. Samaria. Ding, ding, ding. parts of the earth. Exactly. And then we're going to see Philip continue to go out, out, out. In fact, in verses 26 to 40, and I don't think we'll read it all, but let's read verse 26 down to 29. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to grab that? Sure. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandiki or Candace, mm-hmm. depending on your translation, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Mm. Daniel, read the next two verses for us, would yeah. you? So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. That's comforting, because sometimes when I read Isaiah, (laughs) it's somebody to help me understand it. He wants somebody to sit beside me. (laughs) But to continue on the points we've been making, going from Judea and Jerusalem to Samaria, on out, now where is he going? Uttermost parts of the earth. Uttermost parts of the earth. And this eunuch ends up becoming a believer, Mm -hmm. and Philip baptizes him. I mean, it's stunning to see. I want to go back to verse 8 of chapter 8. Daniel, would you read that again? Sure. Um, So there was great joy in the city. Okay, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) This is the good stuff of growth. You know, here Mm -hmm. comes the spreading Mm -hmm. of the gospel. And Philip is transposed, or whatever you want to call it, into a whole (laughs) other place. And and the gospel continues to grow and multiply and change lives and change the world. And there is great joy in that Mm -hmm. city. And it really popped me to think, does growth sometimes the growing pains of life sometimes result in joy. And we talked about how we are widened. Our hearts are enlarged by becoming a spouse or a parent or Mm. responding yes to God's invitation. Sometimes, like in the case of Philip, we actually experience joy. Mm -hmm. Let's not miss it as we engage with the growth that Mm. God invites us into. Let's not miss the joy. Growing pains can have joy in them. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit being at work in us, and so there can be joy even in difficult uh, growing pains times in life. Well, how do we know if we're experiencing any growth that uh, there is gain in the pain? 
How do you measure growth and see that the growing pains are actually helping us to grow? Well, that's what Elisa wants Bill and Daniel and Rasul to think through with her after this preview of what we'll be studying together on the next Discover the Word podcast. On the next Discover the Word podcast, seminary professor Dr. Max Botner is at the table with the group. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I came to faith kind of through my mom. She had a background where her dad had been a pastor and she sort of walked away from the Mm. faith. And so I came to faith then, but I didn't get it, uh, I don't think yet. Christianity to me still seemed like mostly kind of a buzzkill, to be honest, like just (laughs) a not very fun way of moving through the world. And by God's providence, I ended up transferring into a college that had some Bible classes that you could take. And so I took my first intro to Old Testament, and I just remember sitting there in this class and thinking, this is what I want to do with my life. The kind of things that I really love doing are very similar to what we're doing in these conversations, honestly. Just getting together with men and women. And we're sitting together asking ourselves, what does it mean to be God's people reading scripture? So we do dive into academic stuff, but it always has a target of worship and Mm -hmm. Christian identity. Yeah, and so Max is going to help us see how the Old Testament helps us to understand Jesus. In the Jesus story in the Gospels, there are things from the Old Testament that are quoted and referred to surprisingly often. So how can those citations help us to grasp Jesus and his message and his mission better? Find out on the next two-part Discover the Word podcast with Dr. Max Botner that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now the conclusion of our study of Acts chapter 6 and growing pains. How do we measure God's work in our world, in ourselves? Yeah, I've been a part of a lot of ministries that have had conversations about spiritual metrics. How Mm -hmm. do you rate someone's spiritual growth or their knowledge or their attitude or whatever, which I think are helpful conversations to have. Well, they are, especially as, you know, we live in nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in order to account for the money that people entrust to us through donations, we want to report, this is what we've done with it. And this is what God did with it. So it's a thing to try and report some results. But there's some struggles with that. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like, how can you ever measure whether someone actually is yeah. growing or not. And you really, I mean, at the end of the day, you really can't. That's right. Unless well, you have a relationship with them and you can see fruit in their life. Or okay. You just like said that, fruit maybe. in their life. You know, scripture yeah. does say that, you know, when we walk with God, that we should see his fruit produced mm-hmm. by his spirit's power mm-hmm. in our lives. Right. We also know that there have been times whether in the lives of people we know or <clears throat> in our own lives, uh, (laughs) when we learn how to play a good game. Mm. We learn how to fake it till we make it. And we put on the exterior of, I'm this really spiritual person and so forth. And we probably aren't fooling anybody but ourselves, but other people could look at it and say, man, look at what a spiritual giant they've grown into. And inside we know, man, I'm such a mess. Yeah. I think about the importance of authenticity and prioritizing obedience to God Mm -hmm. over my reputation, Mm -hmm. over what I even see as measurables, but Mm -hmm. just the sense of like, it's the right thing to do. So I need to do it. And my willingness to do that or ability to see that in other people to me is a real sign of growth because Mm -hmm. that's when it's like, it's not all based on things I can manage, but it's based on 
something deeper, an inner integrity that reflects ultimately God's heart. Mm -hmm. There's a word that's coming to mind as you're describing this, Russell, and it's transformation. Mm -hmm. That I am transformed from who I am with my goals first into a yielding that's more about what God wants to accomplish Mm -hmm. and in a partnership and a cooperation. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. part of it. And yet there is a kind of an enlargement that also goes with growth. Uh, A multiplication, uh, an influence. There's that kind of an element that goes with Mm -hmm. growth too. And when we're looking at the early church, you know, Jesus' last words to his followers before he ascended into heaven were what, basically? Go into all the world and preach the good news and baptize people and teach them what it means to follow me. So the goal is transformation, but the other element is this kind of multiplication, Mm -hmm. this enlargement of the message that it would go more and more and more places. As we've been looking at Acts 6, 7, and 8 in these conversations, we've been looking at how growth can be painful, Mm -hmm. and yet pain can grow us. And then we just, in our last conversation, talked about the kind of surprising reality that growth also can accomplish joy, and joy can help us grow more and more. And we want to bring this conversation to a close by looking more at at how we grow through obedience. We grow through suffering, we grow through joy, but we also grow through obedience. And that's kind of what you're hinting at, I think, Russell. Yeah? Yeah. One of the most mind-blowing scriptures to me is in, you know, Hebrews when it says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Whoa, yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, to me, I think the insight that that's drawing out is that there's a certain type of insight and learning that can only be attained through trust and obedience, that I can't Mm. get any other way, right? That Jesus went through that process of, you know, not my will, but thy will be done. And until you get there to that moment, and I remember somebody saying, you don't really know if it's obedience. If someone is in authority, like a boss tells you to do something and you agree with it and you do it, you're not really testing the limits of if, if there's trust and obedience there until mm-hmm. you disagree. Mm. Until someone in authority tells you to do something that you don't want to do. Huh. What do you do in that moment? That shows to what level there's an aspect of I can believe that this is good even if I don't see it mm-hmm. and that this is going to do something in me that causes me to trust even when I don't agree. Mm-hmm. And that's where the real transformation occurs. Okay, I'm going to just punch pause on that and give an assignment. Can y'all think about an instance where you had to obey even when you disagreed? Okay, just hold on to that and come back to, we'll give you a few minutes to think about that. I want to go back to our passage. Remind us what was happening in this. This is in Acts 6, and we're kind of going to focus down through about verse 7, and we don't need to read it all necessarily, but set up, what was the situation? Well, it's the early church in Jerusalem, which is Daniel reminded us in a previous conversation, we sometimes try to present as this uh-huh. almost fairyland kind of church where all is well and everybody's happy and everybody's nice. And we find out, oh, wait, uh, they were like us and uh, they were a mess too. So the mess is that there's conflict rooted in some cultural diversity within the church, Greek-based widows versus more Palestinian-based widows, all of which were Jews, but just from different cultural settings. And And uh, believers, and they're all believers. Yeah, they're all believers Mm -hmm. at this Mm -hmm. point. And the Greek-based widows were not receiving the same amount of provision as the Palestinian-based widows. And it created a problem. And the apostles called the 
congregation together, whatever that means, <laughs> and uh, they developed a solution. And it was to assign some fairly significant individuals to take hold of this and bring solution to the problem. And two of the individuals kind of end up being stars in the next couple of chapters. Stephen, who preached the gospel to all mm-hmm. kinds of people and then ended up being martyred for his faith. And then Philip, mm-hmm. who took the gospel to diverse populations, continuing to fulfill Jesus's end words. But the other five, all we have is their names. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, okay? Um, We don't know a whole lot about them. And yet what we're going to see is that even their growth, Mm -hmm. their pains created more growth for the church. Mm -hmm. That is an exciting thing. In fact, let's take verse 7. Could you grab that, Russell? Sure. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Hmm. What? (laughs) I think, first of all, we have to do a little translation. Yes. Because in our culture today, especially in the Christian community today, word of God has become code for the Bible. Yeah. Mm. That's right. The Bible, the New Testament hadn't even been written yet. So when the New Testament uses the phrase word of God, it's either referring directly to Jesus or it's referring to the gospel. Here is referring to the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he had done. And that's significant because those, again, were Jesus's last words is to take the gospel. And so Luke is helping us understand that that's exactly what these individuals were doing. And it goes back also to the apostles saying, we can't neglect the gospel Mm -hmm. to take on this task. We need someone else to do that. And so their gospel orientation is what's driving mission and driving ministry at this point. Uh, And there's some other words in here that stand out to me because in our culture, we tend to focus on converts Mm -hmm. or people saying a prayer or something like that. Mm. The words here are disciples, Mm. right? These are followers. These are people that have taken on this new lifestyle of being like the rabbi Jesus. And then a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Mm -hmm. We often talk about faith as if it's something I have to like force my mind to get around and then agree with. Yeah. But this is obedience. This is following Mm -hmm. which leads to faith. So good. And you know, it's really the first time that that word disciple is used in the book of Acts. And it does mean student or follower or one who's being mentored, if you will. And that's significant. And they're being mentored in obedience as well. And so even the leaders or the priests are being mentored and are following. So now I'm going to go back to the question that I posed. Can you think of a moment in your life where transformation occurred as God led you into a position where you needed to obey? Maybe you didn't even agree. Can we go there? When I went to Bible college, I was already 21 years old, and I went to a very conservative school that had rules that I thought were very appropriate rules for an eight-year-old. (laughs) Um, But it was a struggle for me to conform to rules that at times I thought were silly, Mm -hmm. I thought were demeaning, and yet those were the rules of the school. And if I wanted to stay there, I had to stay there and Mm -hmm. do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn those lessons. And it wasn't something that was diabolically opposed to faith, but you might not have bought into Mm -hmm. every bit of it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think for me as a millennial, even this whole conversation is uncomfortable 
because the idea of obeying without agreement is like, that's something we, my generation really struggles with. I struggle with. You just won't do it. Well, I think we have to. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was hoping so I was going to say that one of the freeing <laughs> moments for me was actually being ordained into the Anglican church, which has a, a very clear authority structure mm-hmm. and like taking on these vows mm-hmm. as a pastor like I am under this mm-hmm. person of, of authority or under the authority of the church. And that was very difficult for me. And I wanted to like nuance, right? The vows and things like that, but we don't do that in marriage. So why would I do that as ding, a pastor? Ding. Very good. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm taking it a different direction because I think sometimes obedience isn't just with those necessarily in authority, but it's even with peers ah. um, or mm. spouses. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. we had this scenario, uh, my wife Tamika and I, where we were looking for an apartment in New York and we found this place, uh, really excited about it, went to go sign. And when we did, that's when we realized that they wanted a broker fee oh. for the amount, which was a lot of money. And I was mm-hmm. like, not prepared mentally and in my mind i'm like we're not doing this we're you know this is, <laughs> we're gonna go find somewhere else and uh so i kind of was just really shocked and we walked outside and in my mind it was like there's no way i'm spending this money and she was like there's no way we're not spending this <laughs> oh, you know I what I mean? and, yeah. and i was like it was so funny because i was shocked and it was a big decision but then i realized you know what she's seeing something that is more significant than me and my emotional reaction to being disappointed about my expectations mm-hmm. not being met. Mm-hmm. And five years later, we're still living in the <laughs> same place and it all worked out and it was equal. But when you don't necessarily agree at moments and that give mm-hmm. is something mm-hmm. that it does uh, create opportunity for growth in yeah. you. And I think that that's even what the disciples had to experience because that was a lot of a risk to say, we're going to gather everyone to talk about a problem. And I thought it was really a model that they ended up acknowledging it, dealing with it head on. And it was something that caused growth. That's right. Growing pains. We grow through suffering. We grow through joy. We grow through obedience. I want to close this with a, a... a quote that has shaped my understanding of growth. It's from a guy named James Ryle. So just listen to this. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. Change challenges us. Challenges force us to trust God. Trust leads to obedience. Obedience makes us healthy. Healthy things grow. Great conclusion to these conversations called Growing Pains. Thank you, Lisa, for leading us in this discussion. I think we've all been challenged to reframe the challenges that we're facing in the midst of change and be more intentional about seeing God is at work through it all. You're listening to Discover the Word with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And as we close this episode, just want you to know that we are grateful to have friends like you joining us for these conversations. And we're also grateful for these supportive friends who make this ministry possible through their financial giving. 
Discover the Word is free for anyone to listen to. But producing and distributing these studies comes, of course, with expense. And your gift today will help us to continue to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. You can show your support by giving online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.